Welcome to Sustainably Speaking. I'm Joshua Baca. On the show today, we're exploring the topic of circularity, what it is, how we got there, and what it means for a sustainable future. As head of the American Chemistry Council's Plastics Division, our team is working with industry leaders to remake the future of plastic by pursuing ambitious goals outlined in our roadmap to reuse that creates a circular pathway for redesigning, remanufacturing, and recapturing plastic waste, and also addressing our biggest global challenges, protecting our oceans and environment, cutting emissions, and building safe and climate-resilient infrastructure. Through innovative ideas, groundbreaking technologies, and working relationships with dedicated partners, we're focused on creating new possibilities for use plastic and working to end plastic waste. Welcome to Sustainably Speaking. I'm Joshua Baca. On the show today, we're exploring the topic of circularity. What is it? How do we get there? And what does it mean for a sustainable future? I work with America's plastic makers who are helping to remake the future of plastic through innovative ideas, groundbreaking technologies, and working relationships with dedicated partners. We're focused on creating new possibilities for use plastic and working to end plastic waste. I'm very excited about our two guests today. Sarah Marshall, who is a director of sustainability at Nova Chemicals, and Jeremy Wallach, who's a partner at McKinsey. Sarah and Jeremy, welcome to our very first episode of Sustainably Speaking, our two very first inaugural guests. And again, thank you guys for taking some time. I wanted to dive in with this being our first podcast on the issue of sustainability and what that actually means. And maybe we could start right there. We use the word a lot in our industry. Can you guys help the average person understand what sustainability means and why this matters to them? Sure, Joshua. Why don't I jump in first? I mean, for us at Nova Chemicals, sustainability really gets back to that definition of how do we make sure that people, the planet, and our business have a long-term viable future? So there, the definition for sustainability has changed over the years, but getting back to one of the most common ones for us is it's the long-term viability and sustainability for people, profit, and the planet. As simple as that. Jeremy, when you guys are dealing with your clients and your customer base, how do you guys talk about the issue of sustainability with them? And what are you hearing when it comes to that? Yeah, thanks, Josh. And pleasure to join you. I think would agree very much with Sarah's description of sustainability and add to that that personally think about it as efficiently using the resources that we have, minimizing the impact of both our actions and the actions of the value chain on the environment. In terms of at least what we're seeing with our clients, you know, I think there's two sides to sustainability. One is around the new business opportunities that it's creating. And you know, we're seeing a tremendous pull from consumers and brand owners and converters and the like for things like recycled plastic, and I'm sure we'll come to that. And that's creating very real opportunities for folks across the value chain to do things in new ways. And the second side of sustainability is around how we fulfill our obligations in terms of reducing our impact, reducing our carbon emissions, limiting our water usage, not necessarily because it represents a new business opportunity, but because it's the right thing to do and, and also because increasingly regulation and expectations are moving in that direction. That's a great segue, Jeremy, and, and thank you for raising those points. Um, as you know, and Sarah being one of our lead advocates uh, with Nova Chemical, 
we have been working around the clock to deal with the issue of plastic waste in the environment. And most importantly, making the resources that we use more sustainable and our world more sustainable. And that's really kind of the goal of this podcast over the next several episodes. What I want to dive into, though, is the issue of plastic waste is one that is really complex and hard to solve. And Jeremy, I know you played a critical role in providing research and analytical support on how to address the issue of plastic waste and really build a much more sustainable economy. And maybe we could start right there. What is the purpose of a roadmap like the one ACC developed? And why did we come to your organization to support the research and analysis that informed it? Yeah, thanks, Joshua. And, and, you know, as McKinsey, we were privileged to have the opportunity to work with the ACC. And we see our role as having provided research and analytical support uh, to underpin the roadmap. In terms of the roadmap itself, the purpose of that is to take, as you said, what's a complex, multifaceted issue and try to identify some of the most important dimensions, leverage points, try to lay out some actions against that and give us a way to plan and coordinate so that we can make some real material progress. You know, I think it allows us to organize in an otherwise complicated value chain and landscape of municipalities, allows us to assemble funding and direct resources, and then, you know, ultimately to track our progress. And Sarah, maybe you can come in here. You know, Nova has been at the forefront of circularity and sustainability on so many issues. Obviously, this drives your business decisions and something your customers are demanding. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys view the roadmap, how you guys are actually using it from a business perspective, and what your process and role was in helping the ACC develop this? Yeah, absolutely, Joshua. Back in about 2018, as members of the American Chemistry Council, we all agreed on really important plastic circularity goals. And we have a 2030 goal and a 2040 goal related to the recyclability and the recycling of plastics. And when we set that goal, we realized that that was what was going to keep us accountable to our promises as plastic makers to do our part around managing the issue of plastic waste and repurposing and revaluing that material and recycling. But we didn't know exactly how we were going to get there. Like you mentioned, the plastic waste issue is one that seems pretty complex. And it's complex because it's a whole system. And every part of the system has to work and move forward together to be able to advance our goals. So when we now have this roadmap that shows our pathway towards our 2030 and our 2040 goals together, it really breaks down where we need to take action in each of the six areas of the roadmap. And one of them that really guides our work today at NOVA is the first one. It's all about recognizing that because this is a system, like Jeremy talked about, there's so many different people and governments and industry organizations involved in each step in the plastic circular economy system. So we need to be talking to one another. We need to be understanding each other and sharing information, building up our fact base, and really understanding the pain points in each one of these areas 
to move that system forward. So that value chain collaboration piece of the roadmap is one that's pretty important for us as we've really started to reach out and engage not just with our direct customers now, but with all of those, if we call them actors, right, all of those actors in the plastics value chain and in the circular economy system that uh, we weren't engaging with a couple of years ago, right? So that's made a huge difference for us and just that recognition that there's so much to do just to raise everybody's collective understanding of how this system works and how we really start taking those steps towards the circular economy. So you've touched on a couple of really key topics I want to maybe dive into a little bit. One is the word circularity. For the average person out there, what what does that mean? And we use that word and we throw it out a lot. Circular economy. Maybe both of you guys could dive in a little bit about what that is and our aspirations for a circular economy for plastics. Well, if you let me go first on that one, Joshua, what I see as a circular economy, it's the opportunity to use a resource again and again and again so that you're minimizing new resources coming into that system and you're also minimizing waste generation from that system. So that's a circular economy. It's simply continuing to use the materials that we already have, repurposing, reusing, recycling, keeping those molecules in circulation. In short, we use the resources that we use to make products a little bit more efficient. Is that fair? Yeah, and I guess I would, you know, Sarah, certainly agree with you and maybe just add that historically things like recycling have been a mix of what you might call a a closed loop and downcycling. And closed loop would mean, for example, making new bottles out of old bottles. And downcycling would be, for example, taking bottles and making something like a carpet out of it. And, you know, as we think about a sustainable circular model, the aspiration is more and more to be able to close the loop. And so we're making new bottles out of old bottles and you can go around that cycle a number of times. Jeremy, thanks for that answer. And and I want to dive into the other point that Sarah raised is the power of collaboration. She talked a little bit about the roadmap. And, you know, one of the key findings here seems so obvious, but sometimes the obvious isn't so easy to realize is the power of collaboration. And I know as an industry, I think the thing that gets me most excited every day when I get out of bed is the ability to collaborate with a variety of stakeholders. You know, I look at my calendar and We're all doing a bunch of Zoom meetings, but the diversity of those meetings on who we're speaking to, lawmakers, folks in the value chain, stakeholders, NGOs, I mean, it is diverse with everyone having such a different worldview on what this means in some capacity. But to the point of the roadmap, and I think the point that Sarah mentioned, collaboration, can you guys both dive in there a little bit about if we're going to solve the issue of plastic waste, what does collaboration look like in the long term? Yeah, it's a great point. And I'm happy to maybe start and then turn back to Sarah, which is, you know, as we went through the exercise of trying to build some of this fact base, working with Sarah and other members and folks across the value chain, one of the big principles was just what you said, this collaboration, this concept of looking up and down the value chain. And you have to recognize, at least in our view, that each of the steps in the value chain are businesses and activities that need to continue to exist on their own and continue to be functional and profitable. And so the path to success has to run through recognizing that that each of these 
entities and groups of entities need to, in some sense, act in their own self-interest, but then be organized and motivated to collectively move together. And so, for example, you can sit anywhere in the value chain and you can just say, if only, if only the folks upstream did something differently, if only the folks downstream did something differently, the problem would go away. But ultimately, that doesn't get us where we need to go. And I think where we need to go is just what Sarah said, to treat it as a system to view how can we all take action together and then how can we ensure that the economics and the incentives are appropriate so everybody can do it in a way that's consistent with their business objectives. Joshua, I'd love to tell you just a quick story that I think really illustrates the point that Jeremy is making. I was talking to a, a large retailer and uh, one of the things that they're learning about is how they can specify their packaging so it can be better recycled. And this lawyer and uh, stewardship uh, individual at the retailer was saying to me, one of the things we didn't know was that it was so easy to make some of these changes that make a difference in the circular economy system. And the example he gave was that mushrooms are packaged in uh, polyester thermoformed trays, and oftentimes they're black. Well, that's a good opportunity to put recycled polyester into those trays. But when they're black, sometimes they're harder to recycle at the recycling plant, so it's harder to get them back to recycle them. So they realized when working with the recycling plants and the recyclers and the people who are making the mushroom packaging for them, that if they just made them a natural color, they'd still sell the mushrooms and they'd get back better recycled content to put back into that mushroom packaging again. And that was a really simple change is why do we need to make it black? Why don't we just make it a natural color, get more back and make it more easily recyclable? And once they understood that, they could easily get their heads around making that change. That's such a great story. Unfortunately, I don't like mushrooms, but your point is well taken. <laughs> um, uh, kind of building off of that, um, you know, you talk a little bit about packaging um, and the color. You know, it makes such a difference you're talking about here. Can you tell us a little bit about what Nova is doing when it comes to product design? I know I've seen news coming out of things you guys have been doing, changes you guys are making collaboration you're engaging with with your customer. Can you give us a, a few high-level thoughts on what that design aspect also looks like beyond the, the smelly mushrooms that come in my refrigerator? <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot of innovation going into the space of redesigning packaging for recycling and also of being able to get recycled content back into that packaging. And uh, this gets me excited because most of my career at Nova, I spent in research and development and I was doing this kind of work with the team. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity still that we see to help brand owners redesign their packaging and make simpler changes to more complex changes that mean that package can be recycled and can go into a recycling stream and be recycled with today's existing infrastructure. So one of the things that we've worked on through the years is converting what's called a stand-up pouch. So 
for example, you could have a stand-up pouch in your kitchen and maybe it has peanuts in it. And I hope you like peanuts better than mushrooms, Joshua. You know, it'll be a flexible package. It'll have a zipper on the top. And often those are made of two different types of materials stuck together. And that gives the peanuts the protection that they need so they don't go rancid in your kitchen. And so you can keep eating them over time. Well, there's ways that you can take that stand-up pouch and instead of having two materials, give it the same protection only with one kind of material. And when you make it into one kind of material, then that flexible package is often eligible for entering the recycle stream where you can bring back your flexible films. So that's just one example of the type of work that we're doing with brand owners There's more that involve how you process the plastic itself to give it unique and different properties, how you might use different kinds of additive technologies or coating technologies to make sure that you can get that material into a recyclable format. But more and more, what people are really looking for is how can we put recycled content back into that package? And so we've been doing a lot of work with recyclers, as well as with packaging designers, brand owners, converters, to help them incorporate recycled content into their packages as well. So let's dive into two things. I'm going to editorialize for one second. I think the story you tell there about innovation, I think what's most interesting and the thing that I find most fascinating about the work all of our companies are doing is the commitment to innovation. And, and I want to dive into that a little bit more. But I think for our listeners, you know, just as I asked the question of circularity and sustainability, what is recycle content? Can you help our listeners understand that one a little bit? Sure. So what recycled content is, is simply after a plastic unit has been used in its first use, We can take that back and we can convert it again into plastic that you can use in a second use or a third use. So as soon as that plastic passes through its first use, it becomes capable of being recycled content. And you can do that by, for example, when you put your bottle, your plastic bottle into the blue bin or into the curbside recycling at your house. That's going to go to a recycling facility. It's going to get sorted. And then there's going to be a big bale of plastic bottles. And those bottles are going to be sold to somebody who recycles polyester. So they're going to get chopped up, washed, and then they're going to be cleaned. And then they're going to be turned back into little pellets of polyester again. Or maybe they'll be left as flakes of polyester. But those are now recycled content polyester, and they can be used again to make bottles like Jeremy talked about in a closed loop recycling system, or they can be used to make other things like t-shirts for your sportswear or like carpet fibers too. So there's lots of opportunities to use that recycled plastic content after it's gone through its first use. Now you're speaking the language that I really love. I was reading a great story a few weeks back about using some of this recycled content for new golf shoes and shirts and a variety of other things. I thought it was such a great story about 
things that maybe the average person may not realize about what a small action may look like by putting a volatile or a pouch in a bin may look like. Jeremy, I want to bring you in here a little bit too. There's two important topics there that Sarah touched on. And I'd love to, for you to maybe elaborate a little bit about what our roadmap tells us and maybe more broadly, where you see the future when it comes to industry innovation and the use of recycled content here. Sure. Thanks, Joshua. And and maybe just to try to build a little bit on Sarah's comments, you know, for the listeners, I'm not sure how many of you, as you go through the supermarket, turn around the bottles you pick up. But more and more brand owners are, are in fact, advertising the use of recycled content. And so, you know, just a couple examples. I have a bottle of dish soap here. And as I look on the back, it says this bottle is made from 100% post-consumer recycled plastic. And that's exactly what Sarah was talking about. The bottles came back and then they made a new bottle. And then here's another bottle I have. This is a, a body wash. And it says this bottle made with 65% recycled plastic, recycled for good karma. And so it, it's gone from being a cost savings measure to really a source of branding and differentiation for the CPGs. I just wanted to add that a little bit. But if we pivot to your question on the roadmap and future innovation, the roadmap is meant to start with what are the challenges we're facing today relative to pulling through recycled content in the system, trying to take a fact-based view. And if you look at sort of the facts of where we're losing the recycled content, it, it turns out there's a variety of challenges. You know, one of them is simple, but, but probably actually the largest, which is the consumer participation. And if consumers don't bother putting it in the bins, no matter how good your system is downstream, it's lost forever. You know, and then there's something around access, which is you just have to make it easy enough for consumers. And neither of those are really breakthrough innovation type topics in the sense that we know exactly how to do it. There are examples of cities that do it well. We know how much it's going to cost. We just have to go do it. Then there's some things that really do require some incremental technology that's been developed and proven, but not really deployed. And so one of those is around sorting. And if you look at the way recyclables move through the system, what's called the rigids, the the bottles, the things that are sort of three-dimensional in form, are very easily sorted today. But the things that are flat and flexible, Sarah mentioned the stand-up pouch, the plastic bags, our system in the U.S. isn't equipped to collect and sort those uh, systematically. We've figured out how to change it, but there's a real set of capital investment that would have to be done to do that at scale. You know, and then the, the last one I'd touch on is, is this whole area of advanced recycling. And that dramatically increases the envelope of what's recyclable. And so Sarah talked a lot about how we're designing our way to be able to recycle more things using you know, the traditional technology, the mechanical technology. This new technology, advanced technology, as you're aware, allows you to recycle things that are multi-material, that have higher levels of contamination, that can't be sorted as well. And on the other hand, it gets you, the term is virgin equivalent performance. And so you're taking zero hit on any of the mechanical or physical properties. And so that's really a promising area that, you know, at least we, from where we sit, see all of the resin producers and many startups investing against. So a great question, Ian. Help our, our listeners understand, what is advanced recycling? And how does that differ from maybe what they know as traditional recycling that happens today? 
Sure. I'm happy to start, and I'm sure Sarah can can build. Uh, let me let me begin by reiterating what I think Sarah touched on, which is traditional recycling called mechanical recycling basically involves taking the material, chopping it up into small pieces, and then um, for simplicity, let's say making it into new pellets through a, a uh, heat and pressure melting process, and then you can mold those pellets into, into material. But there's a degradation of property, there's a loss of color fidelity, and so you can only do that a certain number of times. Advanced recycling refers to a whole family of processes where you break things down chemically and then you reform them chemically. And so what you get is chemically and physically and in every respect identical to virgin quality. And there's a few types of advanced recycling. Uh, for what's called polyolefins, so polyethylene, polypropylene, the most important type of advanced recycling is called pyrolysis. And that takes you back to something that's a little bit like a, a refined crude oil, the term is naphtha. And then you can feed that into some of the, the heavy assets that make plastic. Those are called integrated crackers. For things like PET or polyester, there's actually a different technology called solvolysis, where you can break it down into what are called monomers. And it, you can think about that as you're not going quite as far back in the chain. Instead of creating something equivalent to refined crude oil, you're creating something equivalent to sort of in the middle of the process. But again, you can repolymerize that and make brand new polymer that's as good as every other polymer. So those are a couple examples of advanced recycling. Uh, but Sarah, please, I'm sure you can add quite a bit. Yeah, and Sarah, maybe help us come up 50,000 foot level. Why, why does the average person need to care about advanced recycling and how is Nova utilizing it? Well, I think Jeremy did a great job in explaining how these technologies work. And they are really exciting technologies because what they allow us to do is they allow us to take plastics that are much more difficult to manage in mechanical recycling technologies and to use them, to use the materials in them. And plastics are almost all carbon-based materials. There's a bit of oxygen in there. There's a bit of nitrogen, but these are essentially carbon-containing materials. When we use advanced recycling technologies, we can take those polymers, those plastics that are more difficult to mechanically recycle and essentially harness those molecules, the carbon, the oxygen, the nitrogen, and turn them back into new plastics again. And I mean, Jeremy's spot on there. These new plastics are as good as we would make them the first time in our existing, uh, what we call virgin plastic business. So yeah, they can do everything that today's modern plastics do with no issues related to quality. That's where people run into trouble with mechanical recycling is sometimes the quality just isn't quite as good as people need it to be. So there's innovation there too to help with that, because we're going to need both, both technologies to help us use all of the plastic that's available to us today. I want to ask you, Sarah, one more question, and then maybe we could go into a quick rapid round here. Tell us a little bit about the importance of having, you know, you talk food quality material, right? Why does that matter? Like, why does that food quality uh, recycling that comes from Advance really matter here? 
Well, in Canada, in the United States, in Europe, in almost all countries around the world, governments ensure that there are strict regulations related to not only what we eat, but the drugs that we may take and the products that we might use on our bodies, like cosmetics. Um, so those types of products need to be carefully tested to ensure they're safe to use on humans. Likewise, the packaging that contains food, drug, and cosmetics also has to be very safe to use in those products. Because of course, they're going on or in our bodies are the most important things that we want to protect. So when it comes to plastics, these materials are incredibly safe to use in these applications and have been proven so for years and years. But when post-consumer plastics go through their first use, we're not sure what else has contacted them, right? So think about a bottle that contains oil for motor vehicles. Well, we certainly wouldn't want to eat oil for motor vehicles. So what advanced recycling does is advanced recycling can take that oil bottle and because of the nature of how it is chemically processed to make it into new materials for new plastics, any of that contamination is managed and taken care of. And when we test materials made from advanced recycling, they meet all the requirements for food and drug and cosmetic packaging again. Some mechanical technologies can also meet that standard, but uh, from a different perspective, and there's still innovation there to make sure that mechanically recycled materials in certain applications can also meet some food and drug and cosmetic safety requirements. Jeremy, we talked a little bit about the roadmap, and Sarah touched a little bit upon what recycled content or recycled plastic is in this context. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're hearing from brand companies and other industries in the value chain on their need and their want for recycled content. I think the demand signals are very high. You know, several hundred companies have made commitments to use more recycled plastic in their products. Can you elaborate on what that means a little bit? Yeah, thanks, Joshua. And exactly, that, that is what we're seeing. It's this tremendous pull through the value chain. So as you said, the brand owners have made commitments to use typically between 15 and 30% recycled content in their packaging, typically by 2025. And right now that number is closer to about 6% on average. And they really mean it in the sense that in addition to making the public commitments, they're reporting on their progress every year and they are willing to pay more for recycled content. And so we're seeing across the value chain resin producers, startup companies, mechanical recyclers, everybody's investing to meet these needs because the economics are there. It feels quite a bit like a sea change compared to maybe two years ago. And Sarah, I know you spend a lot of time with the ACC working on the issue of recycled plastics. How are you working on this issue with Nova and trying to meet some of those commitments that I mentioned and Jeremy just talked about? We've been pretty active in both the mechanical recycling and the development of new innovations in advanced recycling at Nova Chemicals. So this year, we've been really pleased to partner up with some mechanical recyclers to bring post-consumer recycled content to the market. 
And there's been, uh, as Jeremy mentioned, just a tremendous interest in these products from the value chain. They're really looking for quality recycled content to help them meet their goals. One of the things that we're noticing in our partnerships is that we can help the mechanical recyclers actually get better at the work that they do with the knowledge we have on how plastics work in the marketplace and how to make optimum quality plastics. So the value chain is really excited. They're really excited to see the partnership between virgin resin manufacturers and recyclers. On the innovation side, we're working to develop new advanced recycling technologies uh, with another Canadian company called Enerchem. And in this partnership, we receive many, many requests for updates on how it's going. Partnership requests from CPGs and brand owners looking for how they can help us accelerate this innovation. In my 24 years of working in innovation, I've never had uh, partners from the value chain call and say, we want in on this innovation in the early stage and we're willing to help you with it. So I take those just as examples of what's happening in our own company as um, very positive examples to support Jeremy's comments about what McKinsey and he and others are seeing in general in the marketplace on the desire for recycled content and on the willingness of the value chain to invest in terms of meeting these targets. Jeremy, when you were working with the ACC and our member companies on the roadmap, what was the most interesting thing you uncovered in the process that you were unaware of? I think the biggest surprise for me was that the recycling system today isn't as broken as everybody talked about. And for the most part, if you take a rigid container and you put it in the green bin, the chances are it's going to come out at the other side as a plastic that's being reused. And so we need to balance all of this technical innovation, which is important, and we have to do it, with the societal and the infrastructure innovation to get more stuff in the front of the process. And Sarah, maybe for you, you know, you talked a little bit, your career started in R&D, and now you're actually seeing some of this play out in reality. What has been the most interesting thing you've learned in your career about our industry that maybe the average listener doesn't know about? I think what's really interesting for me in the plastic space is how necessary they are to modern life right now. When you think about getting up in the morning, how long does it take before you touch something made from plastic? For me, my alarm clock is my phone. It's made of plastic. So within a second of waking up, I'm in contact with plastic. I put my glasses on. They're plastic. I walk on my carpet. It contains plastic fiber. Over to my washroom, I brush my teeth. Plastic toothbrush. So again, uh, plastics add such amazing value to what we do today in our lives that the innovation that took us there in terms of all of these plastic products, it's there for us to continue to work towards a circular economy where we can get these materials back again. And maybe kind of to wrap this up, Jeremy, from the roadmap, average Joe walks down the street. You had one thing to tell him. What would you tell him? I would say we've 
reached and probably already passed an inflection point in terms of the acceleration of plastic recycling uh, in the U.S. and in other developed economies. And we've gotten to the point where there's this tremendous pull for it from brand owners, from consumers, from regulators. And the problem that we're hearing from our clients is not how do we make the economics work, it's how do we get more plastic through the system? How do we scale all this up? And so to the average Joe, I would say the industry is working very hard on this. We're making progress. The value chain is making commitments. The economics are improving. And uh, you're beginning to see it already when you turn those bottles around in the supermarket. What about you, Sarah? Consumers, average Joe had one takeaway from our roadmap. What would you tell them? I would tell them, do not give up hope on this problem. Continue to recycle. Follow those guidelines that your community provides for you and look for other ways you too can participate in recycling. Because like Jeremy said, the will is there. The people, the brain power is there. The collaboration is happening. And there's collective actions in industry and in government to really make the plastic circular economy happen. And we need everybody participating. And that means everybody in their kitchen every day, putting it in the blue or the green bin. That's great. I think this industry is one that over the next several episodes of this podcast, we're going to be telling a, a really fantastic story about some of the things Sarah touched on, the role plastics play and doing a variety of things, fighting climate, making our lives better, helping us communicate. We were going to dive in in a little greater detail on the issue of advanced recycling and have some more conversations with our stakeholders. But I would leave our guests with this. You know, you heard from Sarah and you heard from Jeremy. Our industry is working around the clock to deal with these issues. We're not just talking, we're putting forth solutions and we're leading. Our roadmap is definitely the first piece of the process to bring to life the 2040 and 2030 commitments Sarah mentioned. But we're you know, doing a lot more. We're working with lawmakers, we're partnering with NGOs, um, we're putting forth solutions, and I, I'm looking forward to diving into some of those topics in a little bit greater detail. So, Shara and Jeremy, thank you so much for taking some time today. Thank you for the work you guys do on a daily basis and what you guys do on behalf of our industry or have done on behalf of our industry. I know we all very much greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Sustainably Speaking. And a big thank you to our guests. If you had any takeaways from today's episode, consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues or including it in a rating and review. You can also reach out to us directly at sustainablyspeaking at plasticmakers.org. We'll be back in your podcast feeds on June 21st with a discussion on sustainability in the automotive industry. Together, we can change our perspectives, our behavior, and the world. I look forward to sustainably speaking again soon. Mm -hmm.